last week on the sonic truth dynasty podcast did you lower the camera so you would look taller what no man i just want you to get like the full spectrum of me and the patriots could be the first offense in the history of the nfl in which the x receiver is technically the sixth receiver on the target totem pole and <laughs> when they read the name randall cobb it does right. sound like a white person even though he's not and it's conceivable that antonio brown Le'Veon bell and ben roethlisberger all finish ranked number one at their respective positions in 2016. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Field Goals Sonic Truth Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And with me is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. What is up, Matt? I don't know. Nothing's up. This is a boring day in Connecticut. Just 75 degrees, sunshine, breeze blowing it off the water, relaxing, watching the world go by thinking about who I'm going to draft in my next fantasy league. Hmm. You know what I'm thinking about, Matt? This episode is coming out on the 4th of July. I know there's some pushback on this topic, but that's a that's a special holiday, so this is a special episode. It's not going to be quite as long as some of the rest, but it's going to be action-packed. Okay, is this where I light off fireworks or something? What do you want from me here? I'm not sure what you're looking for me to do here. You looked at me as if fireworks were going to come out of my ass. <laughs> I don't know, man. I expected something from you here. Anything. I'm just a man sitting here relaxing. I don't have any fireworks for you. I don't. I don't have any funny stories. I don't have any fireworks. Well, I was expecting something from you. It's Fourth of July episode, man. I needed something. Anything. Last year, there was a major incident that happened on Fourth of July. Jason Pierre Paul blew his hand off. <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? His ADP dropped in IDP leagues, I'm assuming. Why would you laugh at that? Because <laughs> it's he, he did it to himself. I don't feel bad about it. He blew his own finger off with a goddamn firecracker. It's his fault. Adam Schefter spent months <laughs> investigative reporting trying to figure out how many fingers were on Jason Pierre-Paul's hand. It consumed the summer football coverage. That happened. That was because of the 4th of July. Right. My daughter knows better than to touch fireworks when they're about to go off. So Jason Pierre Paul should have known better. But I just thought of something that I'd like to ask you. Last episode, we had talked about you playing one on one basketball. You're shaking your head, Matt. What were the results? I lost 12 to 10. Oh, it was a close game. He was up 10 4. Then he started getting really tired. I'm in better shape. I made some threes, came back, and then he pulled it out. I mean, he didn't, you know, he just... Are you going to go here? No, I just, he won. Okay, okay that was anticlimactic. That was not much behind that. I told you at the beginning. All I have is jazz hands. I don't have any good stories. I don't have any funny jokes. 
I have jazz hands today. I made that clear. Well, that's fine because you know what, Matt? I have something for you. Finally, we didn't have one last week, I don't think, but we've got a buzzard email this week. That's it. Yes, that's that's one of the great show devices. When you don't have something to say, read a buzzard message. I love it. And that's where we're going. You can contact the show on Twitter at Sonic Truth Pod. You can find us at our email, sonictruthpod at gmail.com. Here's the buzzard email. So the Sharp Dynasty players are targeting Julian Edelman over Eric Decker? Yes. Yes, over Eric Decker. Eric Decker is the number two receiver on a run-first offense with Ryan Fitzpatrick under center. Julian Edelman is the number one wide receiver, technically the number two option in the passing game behind Rob Gronkowski, but still the number one wide receiver tethered to Tom Brady on a high-volume high-efficiency offense, and it was reflected in their fantasy points per game last year in PPR. Eric Decker, 16 fantasy points per game. Julian Edelman, 19 fantasy points per game. Pretty straightforward. I love Julian Edelman, and honestly, I love Eric Decker. Eric Decker is a year younger than Julian Edelman, but in terms of these two players, it's negligible. It's a one-year difference between these two. But I think the big factor here is everybody always wants a number one receiver. And who better to have than the number one receiver for Tom Brady? Obviously, Tom Brady is still able to produce big on an NFL field. So I do love Julian Edelman. However, I feel like Julian Edelman has a higher ceiling in terms of targets per game, where I think that Eric Decker has the higher season-long fantasy potential in terms of yards per reception and touchdowns. And here's why. I see I see what you're looking at me. I see your face. In 2013, Matt, Julian Edelman played a full season, as did Eric Decker. Edelman finished the season with 15 more overall targets than Decker, as well as 18 more overall receptions. However, Decker ended the season with nearly 30 more total points and finished inside the top 10, while Edelman was outside of the top 18. Now, I realize people are going to say... Peyton Manning was his quarterback. That Peyton Manning was his quarterback, and now he has Ryan Fitzpatrick and Geno Smith, and I'm fine with that. It's not Geno Smith. Geno Smith will not be the quarterback for the New York Jets in 2016. It will absolutely be Ryan Fitzpatrick. We will go through this exercise. It will provide significant content for the major sports media platforms. When will Ryan Fitzpatrick report to camp? The Jets and Fitzpatrick are playing chicken with the contract. So many beat reporters that cover the Jets will say hundreds of thousands of syllables about a non-issue. Going back through time, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, on down the line. Once we get into August and September is approaching, the holdouts sign. Ryan Fitzpatrick has expressed interest in playing football in 2016, so he will be under center in 2016 for the New York Jets book it and i agree so let's take it to 2014 where eric decker had geno smith for his quarterback so in 2014 julian edelman played one less game than eric decker 
and managed 19 more targets than Eric Decker. But this is where I was saying his ceiling is higher in terms of targets. This was the year that Decker has Geno Smith, and of course, Edelman's still with Brady. By season's end, these two finished as the wide receiver 26 and 27 in fantasy. Edelman outscored Decker by 22 overall points. And of course, a lot of this has to do with total targets. However, then you look at 2015, which was last year. Decker gets Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback, and Edelman posts roughly the same points per game. Edelman finished with just nine games that year, 12.4 points per game. And Decker, who played all but one game, averaged 11.5 and finished inside the top 10. So this is the reason, Matt, that I have these two neck and neck, because Edelman's target ceiling is obviously higher, but Decker's season-long production could surpass Edelman yet again, even as the number two wide receiver in his own offense, while Edelman is number one in his. And one last stat here, and a lot of this does have to do with injuries. Eric Decker has finished inside the top 10 three different times in his career. Julian Edelman has never finished inside of it once. Yes, you are playing a classic statistical trick, forgetting to mention the games that players missed. In 2014, Julian Edelman finished outside the top 20 in total fantasy points because he only played 14 games. His 15.9 fantasy points per game in PPR was 16th in the league. He was still an entrenched WR2 in fantasy, even in 2014 which would be considered his worst year as a starter in the Patriots' offense. So get out of here with your tactic of cherry-picking the stat. Oh, we'll go counting stat here. We'll go efficiency stat here. Anything I can do to reverse-engineer an argument where there is no argument. You can't argue that Eric Decker has more fantasy potential than Julian Edelman. I mean, I know you tried to do it, and you just failed. Uh, I don't know. I totally disagree. I don't see how Eric Decker doesn't. He's finished with a higher yards perception nearly every year he's played. He's never had one under 10. Eric Decker's got three seasons of double-digit touchdowns. And I agree. The the primary reason... Do you know who finished in first place in yards per reception last season? In 2015? J.J. Nelson. How many fantasy-relevant weeks did J.J. Nelson post in 2015? Yeah, but... How many targets did he do it on? Exactly. So get out of here with your yards per reception. Commanding targets is a skill. And Julian Edelman commands targets like few receivers in the league. Julian Edelman shows up in my Dynasty Dominator book. And everyone that listens to this show should be going to playerprofiler.com forward slash guides and downloading my Dynasty Dominator book. It is a complete strategy guide laying out all the rules of thumb that you need to win your startup draft and to consistently improve your team during the offseason and during the fantasy season. Julian Edelman shows up in my Dynasty Dominator book more than any other wide receiver because he exemplifies the athletic wide receiver stuck on a depth chart on a high-efficiency offense that requires significant patience by his Dynasty owners. His athletic measurables coming out of Kent State were exceptional. 99th percentile agility score, 116.2 80th percentile Spark X score. He looked like the dream slot flanker receiver for Tom Brady. And once Wes Welker was shipped off to Denver, that's exactly what he became. 
but he wasn't fantasy viable for four straight seasons. And that's why drafting and stashing wide receivers in particular and showing them great patience is important. I would strongly suggest dynasty owners do the same with Malcolm Mitchell. Malcolm Mitchell, because he's bigger, he looks a lot like Jeremy Macklin, could be argued he has even more upside than Julian Edelman in this high-efficiency, flanker-focused New England Patriots offense. And with Malcolm Mitchell, you need to get a hold of him now before injuries to Danny Amendola or Julian Edelman propel him into the starting lineup. Get him now, stash him now, and show patience. You need to show patience with these precocious talents that do not have a clear path to playing time as rookies, but if and when they get an opportunity, could break out like a fireworks display in the sky, just like Jeff Janis did against the Arizona Cardinals in the playoffs last season. Jeff Janis is a pumped-up version of Julian Edelman, a small-school raw player with exceptional measurables tethered to a prolific, efficient quarterback in the long run. Julian Edelman was Jeff Janis before Jeff Janis, except that Jeff Janis, because he's 20 pounds heavier, 5 inches taller, and has more speed and burst, has a much higher ceiling than Julian Edelman ever did. I do like Malcolm Mitchell, and I agree. He's a guy that you need to stash and wait on. But I'm going to totally disagree till the end of time that Julian Edelman is a landslide better player than Eric Decker in terms of fantasy. You're I, doing oh, another rhetorical trick. No. You're putting words in my mouth. I never said it was a landslide. I just said it was clear. It's I just not said clear. It, it can be beyond refute without being a landslide. We're here to argue over the minutiae. We're not here to just pick the landslide favorites. We're here to argue the minutiae. And anyone that wants to delve into the minutiae of Julian Edelman's profile versus Eric Decker's profile would come away believing Eric Decker is inferior to Julian Edelman in fantasy football. No. Look, just last year alone, they were one point difference in points per game. So it's not a significant difference. And injuries be damned, that's a great thing to bring up because in the last. You just did it again. You did another trick. Hold on. Standard scoring instead of PPR scoring. You just did it again. You're selectively picking the format of the number and the format of the fantasy league to fit your argument. We only talk about players in a PPR context on this show unless you're trying to prove an unprovable position that Eric Decker is a superior fantasy asset to Julian Edelman. And you'll go to the extent of deploying the dirtiest of dirty tricks, throwing in a standard scoring stat when you know this show exists in a PPR context. Shame on you, Nate List. Shame on you. Look, the one thing that you also need to bring up with these two You're players, You're not disputing Matt, it. You're not disputing that I'm, let you me, hold are on. a master of the dirty rhetorical fantasy football argument trick. Look, man, let me bring up the look, one man. last yeah, fact. Look, man, that's your little jab because you're trying to think of something else to say because you know I have you boxed in. You know it. Hold Just on. admit it. Hold Just on. Take the L. Just take the L. Hear me out. 
take maybe the, the reason I'll, t- I'll hear you out once you take the L. Then I'll I'm hear not you taking out. the L. Maybe the reason that Julian Edelman has never finished inside the top ten is the fact that over the past four years he's missed sixteen games. He did finish in the top ten. Nineteen point three fantasy points per game was seventh in the league last year. What are you talking about? Once he gets injured, are you not going to replace him with someone else on your bench or from the waiver wire? So why are you looking at total fantasy points? The conversation is about fantasy points per game. And I'm telling you that the upside to Edelman is the targets, but the health is one of the concerns. Missed seven games last year, two the year before that. He had one full season the year before that. Missed seven before that. Missed three before that. And then go look at Decker. Look at the games that Decker has missed. One last year, one the year prior to that. None, none, none. I'm just saying, I I like these. I like both these players. Decker has as many lower body injuries as Julian Edelman. It's just that Edelman's have been slightly more severe. But you could argue that Eric Decker may be suffering from chronic knee problems. Once you're on your second and third knee sprains, that, to me, is more of a concern than a broken bone that cost you six games the year before. Take the L. Go ahead. Take the L. I'm not taking an L here. I will agree I was playing some standard scoring in there. But here's the yes, thing, you Matt. Were. No, this is one of those situations where we're boxing or we're doing some sword play. We're fencing. And I don't have a scratch on me. Every thrust has been deflected by my shield or my technique. And yet... You are kneeling on the ground, (laughs) drenched in blood, cuts all over your body. No. About to collapse and die. No, we're not. Listen, I... Just take the L. I'm not taking the L. I'm just saying that the difference between these two guys isn't so significant. I like Julian Edelman a lot. The difference between them is slight, But it's slightly in the favor of Julian Edelman. That's fine. And you cannot disagree with that. I'm not. Let me go back to the first thing that I said. So are you agreeing? So do you wait? No. Before we move on, do you agree? Julian Edelman is marginally better in fantasy football than Eric Decker. Yes, but that is you you taking the L. Thank you. Answer this question. Now we're just at a place where rhetorically. You don't want to say the words, I'll take the L, because I asked you to take the L. So what you're saying now is the equivalent of taking the L without actually saying that you'll take the L. This is pathetic. So by saying to me that you feel that Julian Edelman is marginally better than Eric Decker, then you do agree with the first thing that I said, which is Eric Decker could finish with higher season-long fantasy points. If there's a marginal difference, then Decker could finish higher is what you're saying. It's negligible. It's not negligible. But they're marginal. Marginal is not negligible. Now you're conflating the terms. Oh. You know that a win is now off the table for you. So if you can't win, then you must lose, which means that you have to eventually take the L so that we can move on to the next topic of this podcast. Just Take the L. Do you realize that what we are debating is that the number one wide receiver on a team with one of the most prolific quarterbacks in history might be slightly better than a number two player on a team with a quarterback that nobody really likes? Not might be, is. That's it. Just say it. You've isolated it. So just say 
I believe Julian Edelman is okay. a better fantasy asset than Eric Decker, and I am taking the L. Say that verbatim so we can move on to the next topic of this podcast. Okay. Here's what I'm going to say. Go ahead. In terms of what you're saying, say it. I agree say it. that Julian Edelman is a marginally better option than Eric Decker. I will take the L if that's what you want to debate. No, don't if, preface it with if that's what you want to debate. Okay, fine, I just right. stated no, 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 that no, 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 specifically. No. Do okay. not soften it and attempt to backdoor nullify the L taking. Just say it. Say to the camera with conviction, Here it I comes. am taking the L. Here it comes. I'm going to repeat before I say this, the first thing that I said on this topic, which is Edelman has the higher ceiling in terms of targets. Yes, this is PPR, but Eric Decker has the potential to outproduce him over the course of the season. You are a rabid dog, so I will say that I take the L. Julian Edelman, I agree, is a marginally better player because of the targets. Can we agree the targets and the quarterback are the difference? No, we can't agree. No! What? What is the difference? adding any more caveats. You are taking the L so we continue with the podcast, finish the podcast, and go on with our lives. You are delaying us and the listeners the unalienable right offered to us by the United States of America. (laughs) There we go. The right to live and breathe in a free (laughs) world without suffering under the tyranny of a podcast host that will not take the L forcing his podcast episode to spin on into perpetuity. Okay, here's a question. Since I'm the only person that's dropped any statistics on this topic, tell the listeners why you think that Edelman is a better option than Eric Decker. And I'll wait for you to say that he gets more targets and his quarterback is Tom Brady. I'll sit back. Take the L. Oh, there's the that's the Ellen return. I mean, honestly, he's got Tom Brady. He's the number one receiver and he gets a ton of targets. That is why Julian Edelman is the better option. Their yards per targets were the same. Just take the L. Right, I'm taking the L. Let's move on. Just take the L. Just take the L. I'm taking the L. Matt, just take take the L. Just take the L. Why do you hate Philip Rivers so much? Is this another buzzard message? Yeah, we had a buzzer write in, and I don't know if we had a little conversation about it a few episodes ago, but he asks, why does Matt hate Philip Rivers? Who said I hate Philip Rivers? Is it because I have Philip Rivers outside my top 20 dynasty quarterbacks? Because I don't, and I have him number 15 in dynasty. So what's the problem? I don't understand. I like Philip Rivers. He's younger than some people think. He's still only 34 years old. So he has two to three more productive seasons left in his career. So he's still a worthwhile dynasty target. In redraft, I don't like him as much because there are a number of other quarterbacks that are in better situations with better weapons than Philip Rivers, such as Jay Cutler, Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco. Maybe that's what they're talking about. I have Phillip Rivers outside the top 20 in a redraft. That's low. So in that way, I am low on Phillip Rivers. But that's just because I think Phillip Rivers will do what he did last year, 18 fantasy points per game. I think he's a consistent quarterback that I like in Dynasty, but I'm not excited about in redraft because outside of Keenan Allen, he doesn't have great weapons in the passing game. 
the reason why he's ranked number 21 isn't because his skill set has diminished. It's because the other quarterbacks in the NFL are getting better across the board. Skill players underperform their averages in 2015 and heading into 2016. We have a significant number of young ascending players that will likely exceed their career averages, as well as a number of older quarterbacks who are still in the final phase of their prime years. Tom Brady, Tony Romo, Carson Palmer, Drew Brees. They still have one or two productive years left in their careers. So you have young players ascending and a bunch of old players that are still productive. What does that mean? It means that we could be in for an offensive explosion across the NFL in 2016. I believe that we will see the most fantasy points ever scored in the history of fantasy football this year, and quarterbacks from Jameis Winston to Marcus Mariota to Derek Carr to Tyrod Taylor will bypass Phillip Rivers in fantasy points per game so they're ranked higher in redraft, but that doesn't mean that Philip Rivers is going to underperform. He's just going to stay the same. Just because a player is ranked lower than some other players doesn't mean you hate that player. In this case, the entire cohort is improving. So the only way to stop that would be to shut down the NFL draft. I and mean, that's what you want me to do? <laughs> in order to keep Philip Rivers in the top 15 in all formats? Should I... Send a tweet to at NFL Commish. Stop the draft. I can't have these Jared Goffs and Marcus Mariotas coming into the league. They threaten Philip Rivers' seasonal fantasy football rank. No more new talent. That's it. Everybody stop. Freeze the talent. Shut down college football. I don't want anyone to think I don't like Philip Rivers. Philip Rivers had, in addition to losing Keenan Allen, an aged Antonio Gates, and really no receivers on this roster, he had a really bad run support game behind him. And that's another reason why there hasn't been a lot of success in this passing game, again, in addition to the weapons that he doesn't have on the outside. So if Melvin Gordon can bounce back and be the player that they expected him to be when they drafted him so highly and Woodhead maintains his dynamic playmaking ability on this roster, Phillip Rivers is a fine quarterback to have, but I'm with you. There's just too many young players that are ascending that are producing at a young age. I mean, you got guys like Derek Carr who are throwing the ball often. Jameis Winston looks good. Mariota looks good. So yeah, I totally agree. Rivers is a candidate to get past, but Rivers is still a very good quarterback last year threw the ball 661 times so in fantasy football we're looking for guys that are going to throw the ball look at Blake Bortles inefficient quarterback threw the ball a ton produced really highly in fantasy football so if they can shore up some of these issues in San Diego Phillip Rivers could have a marginally better season but I'm with you I think you have him pretty fairly ranked he was inefficient last year 3.2 air yards per attempt 27th in the league Total QBR under 60. He was a volume-fueled mid-tier QB2 last season. And he's going to be 34. And the weapons in the passing game have not improved. Antonio Gates is older. Ladarius Green is gone. Malcolm Floyd is gone. And something else that's interesting, you'll see fantasy analysts cite the run game as a positive for the quarterback. It's not. You don't want a good run game. If your team features an efficient run-blocking offensive line, that diminishes quarterback pass attempts. 
you'd like your team to not be able to run the ball and not be able to stop the other team. That's how Phillip Rivers passed the ball 662 times last season. That was number one in the NFL. He threw the ball more than 40 times per game. That's not going to happen this year. What's more likely, San Diego's running game will improve. They've invested in the offensive line. Melvin Gordon is now going into his second year. Melvin Gordon posted the second best single season rushing total in college football history. So I think the run game will improve overall. And that hurts. It doesn't help Phillip Rivers' fantasy output. Yeah, I do agree with that take. I mean, that, that that is a very true take. I just think that when I say that the run game is improved, if the volume of the run game increases, that's a negative. But if the efficiency of it increases, that's not necessarily one because the defense has to change how they play the ball so it can make things better in the passing game. Now, I believe the reverse is possibly true in Seattle. In San Diego, Phillip Rivers was an inefficient, volume-fueled, mid-tier fantasy asset. In Seattle, Russell Wilson was a top-three fantasy quarterback, despite operating in an offense that only threw the ball 534 times, 27th in the league. The Seahawks were near the bottom of the league in pass attempts, and yet Russell Wilson still finished the year with 21.9 fantasy points per game. How is that possible? It's possible because, unlike Phillip Rivers, Russell Wilson was exceptionally efficient. Plus 27.9 production premium, the situation agnostic efficiency metric on playerprofiler.com. Number one in the league. Number one in passer rating. Number four in total QBR. Number two in yards per attempt. Number five in air yards per attempt. And because he's a running quarterback, he was number two in fantasy points per dropback behind only Cam Newton. But when you look at this profile, it's almost a riddle. How did Russell Wilson finish in the top three without huge volume and only scoring one rushing touchdown? If I told you that the Seahawks were going to throw the ball 534 times and that Russell Wilson would only score one touchdown, I asked you before the season in 2015, how would it be possible weave a fictional scenario in which Russell Wilson finishes in the top three fantasy points per game, you couldn't do it. It would be an impossible conundrum. And this is all, by the way, with the worst pass-blocking offensive line. But I do have an answer to this conundrum. And the solution is right in front of our faces. That Russell Wilson could be the best quarterback in the history of the NFL. If you look at Russell Wilson's 2014 rushing numbers... 116 carries was number one in the league. 20 red zone carries, number one in the league. And because he had 116 carries with a healthy Marshawn Lynch, he was able to post 846 yards rushing, over 50 yards rushing per game, and six rushing touchdowns. Now in 2015, he has top five efficiency across the board, number one in multiple efficiency metrics. So we've laid out his age 25 season in which he scored six rushing touchdowns, his age 26 season in which he threw for more than 4,000 yards and was the most efficient quarterback in the league as a thrower. What happens if circumstances converge in 2016 to meld those two aspects of Russell Wilson's capabilities? No more Marshawn Lynch. So they don't have a running back they can trust. Without a running back they can trust, their run-first philosophy dissipates. And it makes sense that their run-first philosophy would dissipate because in the second half of last season, Russell Wilson started to throw the ball more. Week 8. Against Dallas, 30 attempts. Arizona, 33 attempts. San Francisco, 29 attempts. 
then 30, 27, 32, 30, 41 attempts against St. Louis, 28 attempts against Arizona. So in the past, Russell Wilson would go consecutive games throwing the ball less than 25 times. Now in the second half last season, he's throwing it 30 or more times in consecutive games, and in some games throwing it more than 40 times. Those are all the games in which they needed to throw in order to win. When they were losing to St. Louis, they had to throw. When they were losing to Pittsburgh, they had to throw. In only 30 attempts against Pittsburgh in Week 12, Russell Wilson threw for 345 yards and five touchdowns. 35 fantasy points per game. If the Seahawks merely shift their offensive philosophy incrementally and throw five to ten more times per game while simultaneously relying on Russell Wilson to run for first downs and touchdowns in a handful of situations in which they would have relied on Marshawn Lynch, all of a sudden Russell Wilson's weekly floor is 25 points per game and his weekly ceiling is 35 points a game. Russell Wilson becomes a 30 points per game fantasy quarterback, the best fantasy quarterback of all time. That is in Russell Wilson's range of outcomes in 2016. Yeah, and the thing about Wilson, and I was tweeting about this earlier in the week, for those people who already saw it, I'm going to go through it again, but Russell Wilson has seen passing attempt growth every year since he's been in the league, which isn't a surprise, because in his rookie season, he only threw the ball 393 times, so not very often. But from his rookie year to year two in the league, we saw an increase of 7%. From year two to year three, an increase of 11%. Then from year three to year four, he again increased another 3.5%. So in four years in the league, he's increased 23%, and he's never thrown less attempts than the year prior. So for people that are assuming that in 2016, Russell Wilson couldn't break 500 pass attempts, that's crazy because that's only an additional 3.5% on last year's numbers. And if he was to throw 500 times, that would have only been the 16th most attempts by a quarterback last season. So that's not a staggering statistic. So if he's spreading the ball more and he's at least as efficient as he was, which was incredibly efficient, there could still be highly rated producers on this roster. Last season, Wilson was number four in passes over 20-plus yards with 60. So that's another incredible stat. This offense is explosive. We talk about ex-receivers like A.J. Green that check all the boxes. They become the queen chess piece on the football field. They can play X, they can play Z, they can play Y. You can move these players all over the formation. Well, Russell Wilson is the ultimate queen chess piece at the quarterback position. He checks every box. He makes every throw. He can gain first downs and score touchdowns in any and all game situations himself. Remember, he was number one in production premium and passer rating in 2015 with the worst pass-blocking offensive line in football. Think about that. I believe Russell Wilson is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen, and not much has to break in his favor to increase his volume, both as a passer and a runner, for him to set fantasy football points per game records. And we haven't even talked about the possibility that Seattle's defense is not as effective in 2016 as it was in 2015. We saw last year in games in which Seattle was losing, for example, Week 16 against St. Louis, that's when Russell Wilson had to throw the ball 40 times. There was only one week last season in which Russell Wilson's pass attempts exceeded Phillip Rivers' pass attempts. 
Just imagine a world in which Russell Wilson receives 600 pass attempts. <laughs> With his running capability and the accuracy of his arm throwing to all quadrants of the football field, it's conceivable that his weekly range moves from 25 to 35 points per game to 30 to 40 points per game. That's what he's capable of. Anyone that's been paying attention to football sees this because his weapons in the passing game are also improving. Last year, Doug Baldwin was the entrenched number one wide receiver. And in the second half, as the volume ratcheted up, what happened to Doug Baldwin's fantasy output? Starting in week 10 against Arizona, Doug Baldwin had 26 fantasy points. Then after that, it was double-digit fantasy points for the rest of the year, and he had six games in the second half in which he scored 20 or more fantasy points. In 2016, not only does Russell Wilson have Doug Baldwin in his prime, he also has an ascending Tyler Lockett. I know the buzz volume around Tyler Lockett has been turned up in recent weeks, but I've been in this party all along. I'm just seeing people walking through the door to this Tyler Lockett party, and I'm thinking... Hey, where have you been? I've had Tyler Lockett ranked at number 22 in my Dynasty wide receiver rankings for months now. And you should check out my rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, and you can see exactly where Tyler Lockett is. Spoiler alert, as I said, number 22. But you can also check out where I have Doug Baldwin, Jermaine Curse, and Paul Richardson. Tyler Lockett finished 2015 with a plus 29.6 production premium. That was number sixth in the league in isolated efficiency. His catch rate, 73.9. That was exceptional because if you have a 73.9 catch rate with a 13.0 yards per reception, that means you're securing passes downfield. On high degree of difficulty throws, Tyler Lockett finished top 10 in the NFL in catch rate. Even his contested catch rate was 50%, which is top 40 in the league. When you mix those efficiency stats together, what do you get? 2.24 fantasy points per target last season was number three in the NFL as a rookie. A rookie who was a mega producer at Kansas State. 44.2% college dominator for Tyler Lockett. 87th percentile. Now give him a 90th percentile 40 time. Give him a 76th percentile agility score. And you have one of the most exciting wide receivers in the league tethered to someone who could eventually be known as the best fantasy quarterback of all time in Russell Wilson. Yet Tyler Lockett's ADP as of two weeks ago in MyFantasyLeague.com redraft leagues was 72.8. There's been significant buzz about Tyler Lockett in recent weeks. That ADP is climbing fast. Doug Baldwin's ADP is 45.4 in redraft leagues. Tyler Lockett's ADP won't be any higher than 45.4 in redraft leagues this season. And the third receiver in that offense, Jermaine Curse, his ADP is a bewildering, befuddling, vexing 194.2. You can get Jermaine Curse at the end of the draft. The Seahawks passing down back is CJ Proceis. They don't have a tight end with a working knee other than Luke Wilson. So all of the targets get funneled to those three receivers. And you can draft all of them in redraft without investing a top 45 pick. And can we add one little addition to the point that you're making, Matt? Where did Jermaine Curse finish in catch rate in the league? Jermaine Curse's 72.1 catch rate was ninth in the league. 
And Doug Baldwin, his 75.7% catch rate was number one in the league. So the Seahawks have three receivers that finish in the top 10 in catch rate. Do you think that's because Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett and Jermaine Curse, the three of them together, have some of the best hands in the NFL? Or is it possible that wherever those receivers are operating on the football field, their quarterback is placing the ball in the perfect place more often than not for them to convert a reception outside the reach of a defender within arm's reach. That's where Russell Wilson is placing the ball. Your catch rate would be 100% if you had someone that could run out onto the field and place the ball in your hands. Then all receiver catch rates would be 100%. That's essentially the cheat code that Seahawks receivers have in Russell Wilson. He's that accurate. He's the best at everything. He's the best deep ball passer. He's the most accurate passer into tight windows. He's the best running quarterback. He's the best quarterback throwing on the run. He's the best quarterback running the ball for first downs and touchdowns. He's the best at everything. And he just needs a couple of these external forces to start to click in his favor, whether it be the offensive philosophy becoming more pass-heavy and less run-oriented, or the defense being diminished so that they don't spend the second half grinding the clock out. If either or both of these things happen, it will unlock the potential of Russell Wilson and create a fantasy football super machine like we've never seen before. So when you look at the Seattle Seahawks receiving core, I think all three of the top players, Baldwin, Lockett, and Curse, are buys in all formats, redraft and dynasty. I believe they will outperform their ADPs this year in redraft and over their career in dynasty. I'm even stashing Paul Richardson in deep leagues. Because if there is an injury, then Paul Richardson immediately becomes fantasy relevant because I believe Russell Wilson can sustain three fantasy relevant receivers in one passing game. I don't want to go back in history and and talk about something that never happened, but can you imagine this offense if they hadn't drafted Paul Richardson and Allen Robinson was on the outside? I'm dead. That was a meaty episode, man. We had some beef in there. Take the L! (laughs) Look, will you just admit something off air? What is it about Julian Edelman that makes him better than Decker? Will you just goddamn say that it's because Brady and the targets? Because it is! You silent bastard. You just stare at me. Say it. This is a fantasy football conversation. Uh, I have the luxury of never having to step out of the world of fantasy football and put Decker and Edelman next to each other 
and judge them in a vacuum. I have that luxury. I never have to give that answer in court. Okay, fair enough. Pleading the fifth. I, I'm, I know. I know you know, though. That's fine. See, this is the thing that kills me. If you were better at being a host, then you could boomerang back at me questions that would pin me down. But you're like a ninja who's uncoordinated. <laughs> you're like a knight without a sword. All you had to say is, Matt, if you were starting an NFL team today, would you pick Eric Decker or Julian Edelman? You probably would have still said Julian Edelman. That doesn't. That, see, I that's wouldn't a, have. I would have said Decker, but you didn't frame the question that way. No. Just admit you're terrible at arguing. Take the no. L on arguing. Take the L. No. In general, you're not good at arguing. Even without an argument per se, just no. admit it that you're not good at arguing. Take the L on arguing. No, I'm not going to. Will you just admit the fact that you will never cop to the – I asked you point blank if it was Tom Brady and the targets for Julian Edelman and you said nothing because, because that is a goddamn fact. I do fact. not let someone change the subject. You can try to pivot and change the subject, but I will always – bring it back to the argument at hand you have to know the assertion and you cannot get someone to body you off the block this is my area this is the part of the paint in which we're operating you want to move me to the three-point line i'm not going to let you do that that's changing the scope of the argument it wasn't that is another rhetorical trick and i have a particular set of skills one of my uh. skills is identifying all of the patented rhetorical and statistical tricks that fantasy football analysts use sometimes they use them well sometimes they're cagey with their use of them and sometimes they use them in a very ham-handed way you're ham-handed you're not subtle with your trickery but i am adept at identifying when these things are happening in an argument and instead of answering a question that might be posed i instead bend the argument back to the question at hand and that's something that you're not good at you don't answer the question is what you said in a long-winded answer I'll answer any question that's pertinent to what's being argued. The question is, how do these two players produce the points that they produce, and why will one guy produce more than the other? And the reason that Edelman will produce more points than Decker is volume and quality of quarterback. We started with that argument. That was what I said at the very beginning, that the primary reason why I like Edelman more than Decker is because he's tethered to Tom Brady, not Ryan Fitzpatrick. We started about that the at targets? the beginning. What about the targets? And I even went as far as nullifying the idea that Eric Decker might somehow be tethered to Geno Smith. I at least upgraded Eric Decker's prestige in the argument by saying, forget Geno Smith. He's going to be tethered to Ryan Fitzpatrick, but that's still not as good as being tethered to Tom Brady and being a cog in the Patriots offense. That's the main difference between the players. It's the it's the targets. That was my argument from the beginning. So so wait a second. Did this whole argument come about because you weren't listening to the first part of the show? In the response you just gave me, you still did not address targets. Again, for the fourth time, we have not addressed targets. It's all inherent in the argument. Because Edelman operates in the Patriots offense with Tom Brady, he is going to receive more targets, right. and those targets will be more accurately placed than throws from Ryan Fitzpatrick. You can't make the playoffs if you're giving Ryan Fitzpatrick huge volume. And the New York Jets know that. That's unspoken. Did we even need to mention that? Is that your new hang-up? 
He had two top ten receivers. Correct, because they didn't have a tight end or a third receiver of consequence. That's that's fine. I'm just saying the only reason that Edelman is going to finish higher is because of the volume. Not what he does with the ball. The passes he receives is why he will outproduce Decker. That's all I'm saying. Now you're making an either-or argument. And no, I'm not. I do not fall in these either-or argument traps, you which is another rhetorical trick. I'm not going to fall into Back. an either-or argument. It's both. Edelman you can't fall a, into a trap if you don't answer any questions. Of course not. Edelman is a top 10 receiver in the league because <sighs> he has exceptional athleticism and football skills and... He's in a high-volume offense with an accurate thrower. All there we go. of that combines there we go. to create Julian Edelman. Otherwise, Julian Edelman would be Danny Amendola, who scores five to seven less fantasy points per game as a starter. That's the difference. I'm fine with that. I don't even care. doesn't even matter to me. You could throw in athleticism and add it as, a, as an addition. I don't care. As long as we All agree, we're say- Tom no, you Brady. Do care. You're not, you don't know what you're arguing, because if the argument is, what would Danny Amendola be in the event that Julian I can give Edelman, a fuck on, with Danny in the event is. that Julian Edelman misses time. If Danny Amendola is a starter in that offense, he still scores less fantasy points per game than Eric Decker because the talent differential between Decker and Danny Amendola is such that the extra targets can't make up for it. When you're funneling the targets to someone with Julian Edelman's talent profile, that's how you get to 19 fantasy points per game. That's fine. I, I agree with you. That's fine. But is Julian Edelman doing the same thing if his quarterback is Josh McCown? Who said that? I'm just asking. That's the point, though. Ryan Fitzpatrick is throwing to Decker. Okay, if Tom Brady was throwing to both of these guys, who would outproduce who on equal target share? They'd be very close. So here's the difference. So three fantasy points per game difference for Edelman last year over Eric Decker. You take away the quarterback, they're about equal. You take away the fact that Decker is number two behind Brandon Marshall by miles. He had like 50 targets less. I mean, I'm just saying, I I don't want to debate it. I like both of these guys. But like you said before, there's not a big difference between the two. My original argument was that Eric Decker could finish with more fantasy points on the same amount of games played and less targets. So could Jeff Janis. But we weren't talking about Janis. That's fine. We no, but talk- your argument is anything is possible because of injuries. No, my argument is that the way that Decker produces with the ball is the reason on the same volume he could outproduce Julian Edelman. Yards per reception, yards per target, touchdowns, all that stuff. He's hiring all of them. Don't those qualify? Don't Isn't that the ball in hand? That's what he's doing with it? It's all favorable to Decker. I like Edelman. I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying he's got a great quarterback. He's got a shitload of targets. It's favorable. Right? I mean, I... What's the question? The question is, in a vacuum, who's better? Yes. Who's better in a vacuum? Sure. It takes you so long. You just went on a three-minute rant when you just could have asked the question, which is the question that I posed ten minutes ago, which is the same question. It gets to the same point. If you were starting an NFL team today... Who would you rather have, Julian Edelman or Eric Decker? That's just a more elegant way of framing the same question. Who's better in a vacuum, Eric Decker or Julian Edelman? And the answer is Eric Decker, you're saying? I would actually say Eric Decker, and do you want to know why? (sighs) Why? Because Eric Decker was a phenomenal college producer, even without a great quarterback at Minnesota. And Julian Edelman never played wide receiver in college. So even though they're the same age, Eric Decker's football resume is better than Julian Edelman's, even though their production and their efficiency 
is relatively equal over the last five years of professional football, the way to break that tie for me would be to extend it back through time even farther. And then I think Eric Decker would have to finish ahead of Julian Edelman. I don't even know what to tell you in terms of just purely playing. In Why the don't NFL, you just say I'm, ag- I'm agreeing with you? That's the end. That's- I agreed that in a vacuum, if we were starting a team tomorrow, I would take Decker over Edelman, but it would be extremely close. I would have to go to the furthest tiebreaker Dude. extent to answer your question. But that is also irrelevant because this is a fantasy football podcast and you are just like a worm writhing on the ground trying to find a way out of an argument that you know you're losing change the subject to something else and as it turns out we don't even disagree on that anyway it's irrelevant because i don't want to talk about college stats for two players that have been in the league for six years or more now you're disagreeing with my agreement i'm not i'm just saying i don't want to go back to fucking college to talk about two guys that have been in the league for six years or more it's totally irrelevant you're the reason why people hate sports and sports fans. Good. Because arguing over the minutia can consume hours of one's life. We've spent an hour in front of these microphones arguing two equivalent players. Yes. This argument epitomizes everything that's wrong with sports analysis. This is why the aliens will come down one day, look at how we talk about sports And then just turn their spaceship around and leave because they'll say, we'll never figure this one out. Would rather go try to figure out a different civilization that doesn't spend 10 minutes arguing over who's better, Eric Decker or Julian Edelman. And one of the hosts who's clearly wrong takes 45 minutes to take the L. We should make a Twitter bet. We should come up with some sort of Twitter bet on this. I'll take Decker. Randomness could absolutely push Decker ahead of Julian Edelman for a number of reasons this year. What if Brandon Marshall goes down? Then I like Eric Decker better. Right. Then he's finally a wide receiver one on his own team. What if somehow Malcolm Mitchell has an exceptional preseason and he starts to erode Julian Edelman's target share because I believe Malcolm Mitchell's a phenomenal receiver. There's a lot of random elements that come into play. Maybe the Jets' defense is not as good as it was last year, and maybe New England's defense is much better than it was last year, and the Patriots don't pass the ball in the second half, and the Jets end up in a bunch of shootouts in the second half of their games. Randomness will likely dictate the outcome of that wager, so there's no point. Well, then why do you even have rankings in the first place? If all that shit can happen, then just burn your fucking rankings down because... You know what I mean? I mean, what's the point then? If, if that's the concern, then who gives a shit about rankings? I'm just saying. This is the ultimate existential question. Why do we pay attention to sports and why do we analyze it? That's fine. That This is for us to discern. I'm just saying I, I would take Decker in this bet no matter what. I understand that. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. There's a war zone out here, man. I Obviously, we agree that they're equal players. I agree that Julian Edelman has upside. This does feel like a war zone, and you remind me of the soldier on the field that's just a torso. That's fine. That's what's happened to you now. At one point in this argument, you were on your knees <laughs> with about 75 different cuts and abrasions uh, all over your body about to bleed out. But now you're laying in the middle of a battlefield and you're just a torso. I've cauterized my wounds. I've stood myself up, my torso with just arms. And I'm I'm standing by my Eric Decker claim. And that's fine. We'll agree to disagree on this topic. We'll let 2016 be the uh, proving point. Oh, let me be clear. 
you're not alive. No, I am. I am alive. I sewed myself up. I sewed myself up. I'm alive. It's a great podcast today. Happy Fourth of July. There's the fireworks. It just shakes his head. Uh, all right, man. How you feeling? I, the head shake. Hey, we had to get fireworks somehow. This is what the people want, Matt. This is what they want. They want me on my heels. They want me swashbuckling my way back down the the poop deck, if you will. Sword fighting my way to Captain Hook. This is what they want, Matt. This is what the people love. They don't love this. They do love. Not the last twenty minutes of this. It'll probably all get cut out. But well, the last minute of this, where you had a ridiculous analogy oh, about God. you sliding down a pirate ship with Captain <laughs> Hook. That's what they don't want to hear. No one wants to hear that. They love that. They love it. They hey man, you see, people think I'm a good sport, Matt. It's a good. It's a nice place to be. All right. It's a nice place to be. Yeah. A torso on the battlefield. Yes, a hypothetical torso on the hypothetical battlefield. We will, again, we'll let 2016 resolve this dispute. That is fine. That's fine. You already took the L. So everything that you Eric said, Eric Decker for president, after the moment you took the L, isn't admissible. And Eric Decker's wife is hotter. Boom. And I'm out. I'm going to Google Julian Edelman's wife real quick. This can't even be close. Which Julian? Is Julian Edelman married? He's got a great haircut. Okay, I hate you, and I'm turning the microphone off. Oh, it's a landslide. It's a landslide in the wife department, folks. It's a fucking landslide. Eh, it's close. Okay, I'm going now. How about I pantomime as if I'm masturbating with a Roman candle while it's being lit and going off? How about that? Would that? Would you like to watch that? Yeah, that's that's the Fourth of July pizzazz this show is going to need.
okay, I'm going now. 